Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted 2015, a Christ Central festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends, enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom, transforming the world, and reaching nations, making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next year. It's great being with you, and thank you so much for coming. Uh, Yesterday, we looked at parenting. Uh, We literally went through the ages, the stages, in a whistle-stop tour. Uh, Today, we're going to look at church being family. And what I'm going to do is start with uh, really like these theological big rocks. Because whatever we do in our lives, whatever, must have theological foundation. We build on what God has revealed to us and what God says to us. Okay? God speaks to us about life. And this is what Devoted is all about, equipping us for life in every walk of life and every sphere of life. So we're going to just look at some theological big rocks, and then uh, Rob and Joe Horn are going to just take us through uh, some great teaching. Rob and Joe lead where they planted churches in Kendall, Cumbria, and Lancashire, uh, Lancaster, Lancashire, two great churches. And what impresses me so much about Rob and Joe is that they can, is that they not only pioneer, but they build community. And in fact, one of their core values to the way they build church is building community in the community, for community, creating community that actually creates more community, which in fact becomes more church plants. And they are a superb couple in what they do that. And then also this morning, uh, we've got a, a good friend, Alex, who's from the church in Cockermouth, we know well, who is a single lady. And she said, we're just going to do some Q&A with Alex about being single in the life of the church. And she's great, she's very honest, very open, and that's going to be really helpful. Okay, the theological big rocks. Number one, it's three. Jesus redefined family. I want us to capture this radical moment. You can read about it in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 to 35, and it says this. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are looking for you. Wait for it. This is the redefining moment. Who are my mother mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mothers 
and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The powerful moment, very vivid, family kind of mum and brothers were there to take care of him. And in that setting, Jesus redefines family. Does that mean that natural family doesn't matter anymore? No. Jesus cared for his mother. One of his, uh, one of the things he said from the cross was, is expressing care for his mother. So it wasn't at the expense of that. But what Jesus does do is he prioritizes, he highlights a new reality. We are now part of the family of God. To those who've received Christ, to those who've believed in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. So we're born again into family. And it's vital we understand that. We now have a relationship to the Father. That is our joy, our security, our thrill, our privilege, etc., etc. We now have a relationship with one another. That is our joy, security, thrill, privilege. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are my joy. You are my privilege. It's wonderful. And we're going to be happy families forevermore. Second point, church. The church is family. Okay, out of this, out of Jesus redefining it, the church is family. And the New Testament, when you read through the New Testament, it is rich in family language. Paul writes to Timothy, leading the church in Ephesus, and he says this, my son, my true son, my dear son. It is rich. It's not just leader to leader doing a job. It's family. It's critical we understand that. And then Paul, in writing to Timothy, then gives him some very clear instructions. And he says this about relationships in the church. He says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exalt him as if he were your father. Treat young men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And so actually church life is literally we're brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers together. That's the, that's the wonder of church. God brings us into family. This is who we are. And then as well as that, Paul then gives Timothy instructions about widows, how to care for widows, how to care for those alone. God puts the lonely into families. In Christ, we are God's family, and this is our prime identity. There's a quote from John Piper here. Marriage and family are temporary for this age. The church is forever. I am declaring the radical biblical truth that being in a human family is no sign of eternal blessing. But being in God's family 
means being eternally blessed. Relationships based on human family are temporary. Relationships based on union with Christ are eternal. Critical understanding. Church is God's eternal family. And we find, as we read through Ephesians, that Paul there writes, he just gives a compelling picture of family. He describes the the walls of separation between different races, the Jew and the Gentile, with all their history, all their tradition, all their prejudice. All those walls are broken down. Okay. And that actually we're made into one new man. And he calls that one new man the household of God. We are God's family. And he says this, he says this that we all have access to the same father as the family. So Paul, he, kind of, he's, he talks about these churches as the family of God. The third thing is this, that the family is, a family is our apostolic mission. So Jesus redefined family, church is family, but also family is our apostolic mission. God has a purpose for this earth. It's to fill the earth with his glory. And he does that through his people, an ever-expanding family of God. And we're going to be praying into that tonight. And God's speaking about that to so clearly. When Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says this. He says, as apostles of Christ, we would have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you. Like a mother caring for her little children. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Paul describes his own apostolic ministry and care for this church as a mother and as a father. That's our passion in terms of Christ Central, being part of New Frontiers. Our passion is we're a family together on a mission. The church, this church was birthed through apostolic care and it was best described in parental ways. And then Paul addresses the church and says this, now, about your love for one another, we we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, okay, family term again, brothers and sisters, to do it more and more. So he's saying, You do love one another. You caught the family way. You see, what is God's family way is love. The Father is love. We know his love. He's building a family of love so that we communicate his love who needs to know his love, to those who need to know his love. And he's saying, you do love one another, but listen, do it more and more. Love isn't just a thing to tick off the tick list in church life. Think, yeah, I'm getting on okay with people. Love is to go deeper and to get stronger and is to be even more fruitful because that's what the world needs to see. A people who love one another and that is what is going to draw people into the church. That is our mission. It's to see the family of God demonstrating the family ways of God. Love one another. We're on 
this apostolic mission. And we have a critical part to play. Whatever our age, whatever our stage in life, we have a critical part to play. This session will envision and equip you with those building blocks. Let's welcome Rob, shall we? Uh, good morning. Um, so, my, Joe, my wife and myself this, mo- this morning are going to be talking about uh, family on a mission, um, which might be quite controversial, particularly if you're a church leader in here. Um, but we're talking about the way that we have seen church uh, uh, evolve and what we've seen church, what I've been saved into, the way we've seen churches operate. And one of the key things for us was that we saw that when our churches are really good at building solid churches, which are built on biblical foundations, which are built around Jesus Christ, which have fantastic meetings. But all of a sudden, these churches, they'll look across the lost and wonder, how can we reach the lost? So then they try and bridge this gap with bridging events like fun days and uh, 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 evangelism programs and alpha courses. And God spoke to us about building a church or building a family within the world, within the community. So starting from day one to upturn what our churches today look like. And unfortunately, that, that is the same for New Frontiers churches as well as it is, and Christ Central churches as well as it is for churches outside of our stream. So, Joe and I have got five children. We are constantly on a mission. We are, every day we're on a mission, and we see our lives as being on a mission, and our five children are, are on a mission with us, and they live with us on a mission. So they consider their lives as being part of God's mission in the same way that we do. And we're going to talk a bit about the way that our family is on a mission. But we also, we're going to be talking, when we, we talk family, we talk about um, people that are in our church who may be single or, or maybe um, other families which connect with us and we outreach together. We live in the world and we are uh, uh, reaching out to the lost on a constant basis, on a constant missional basis. So, One of the things that we noticed very early on um, when we looked at all these things like outreach programs, and I used to be part of those, and I, I, and I love those. And, and let, don't get me wrong, I, I'm not saying that fun days are a wrong thing to do if your church does those sorts of things. But what I'm saying is, is it's not what you see in the Bible as the, as the method or the main way that the Bible tells us to go and reach people. The main way that we see throughout the Bible and through scriptures of reaching people is through our family as church being on display to the world. So we see this in Acts 2.42, where you know that's that, that bit which is commonly used by, uh, by us in, in church. So we talk about, uh, oh, this is, this is church in a, in a modern, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the biblical times, and it's that start of church, and it's got those, those elements of church in there. And we see, and it says things like, um, uh, there's, there's a sense of togetherness there. Uh, that they, they looked after each other's needs. They were, in, they were meeting together to go to the temple. They were meeting in each other's homes. They were eating together. All these things was taking place in, this, in, in that modern, in that sort of biblical church. And what we wanted to do was, what we looked at, and when we saw that, we thought, well, actually, hold on, what, what is here? The emphasis isn't on meetings. So when you talk to, when you look at most of our churches today, we will still build our communities around our meetings. 
And when people talked about, what did you do Sunday morning? I went to church. Because the meeting still becomes very central in what we do. We wanted to see church, our family, our family of church, being the central part. And the meeting's almost on the peripheral. So actually, for the lost, they can start to look at us and see Christ in us as a family. Now, this changes everything. You might think, well, what what difference does that make? It changes everything. Because then your church leaders stop trying to ask you to bring your friends to church on a Sunday morning, and gathering people to Sunday mornings ceases to be the aim. The aim then turns round for us to be on display to the world by having Christ in us. So when we look at this Acts 2.42, we see those things that they were doing, and then at the very last part of that passage it says, and they had the favour of all the people. And you think, hold on, what's it saying there? Actually, how can the rest of the town, the rest of the village, look at that church and, have, and give them favour? How did that work? Well, the only way it could have worked was for the family to be on display. And how is it on display? Not by having massive meetings with your front doors open and your, and your, music, your PA system loud, because they didn't have PA systems, did they? That what, it was, what we were seeing, what you're seeing here, is that the family of God is on display. And then you take a step back from that and you hear what Roger said, because he is actually saying that when we are on display, when the family is seen by the world, they see Christ. And when they see Christ, we gain the favour of the world. So to be honest, I'm not really that impressed when church leaders come to me and say, yeah, do you know what, we've done this fantastic program recently where we're outreaching into this, into this estate and we're doing, we're doing this great project and, and we just gain the favour of, 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 that, of, that, of that estate. What more impresses me is when church leaders will say to me, do you know what, I've got three families in my church who just, when they're amongst their, their, their neighbours, the neighbours just love coming into the houses, they love to come and see how the people of God live, they feel part of the church family, even though they're not Christians. So we've constantly aimed at trying to draw non-Christians in to see our families in operation. Not nuclear families, I'm talking about the family of the church. And the world sees it, and you know what? They love it. They love it. Some of them get a bit upset by it, and they'll get a bit, you Christians again. But most of them will say, do you know what? I see something here which is different to the world. And we're not talking about a stunning church meeting like some of the, some streams where they can put on these phenomenal worship um, sessions. We're talking about people who actually worship with their heart and speak to someone. And that worship comes out of them. So the big question I ask when I talk about um, uh, outreaching communities and outreaching a fa- of family outreaching is how, does mo- how did you get saved? How was you drawn into being saved? And 97% of all people who get saved, are saved through someone in their family or one of their friends who was a Christian. It's very rare that you get somebody who's just walking past a hall, just walked in, or someone picked up a Bible and just read it. There are some, but it's extremely rare. So what does that tell you? It actually says that what we should be focusing on is building relationships into the world, letting our families loose in the world, letting our family of church loose in the world, and encouraging that as the form of saying, look, come and see Jesus Christ. We've got something different here. 
Not by putting on a big event or a big, or a big say, uh, a church Sunday morning. Say, come on, let's get all your friends in here. Come on, come and see this meet. Come be part of this meeting. You will experience something different here. And, and let me tell you, I, I do agree. They will, people will experience things there. I'm not knocking those full stop. What I'm saying is, it just feels like the waiting has shifted too much. And what I see in the Bible is something different. So, one of the ways that, that just, just jumping on another story here, of Jesus Christ when he's, uh, uh, when he's seeing loads of people, isn't it? And he's, he's doing one of his ministry things. And uh, this is the story of Jesus and, and the paralytic who's on the mat. And you get these bunch of guys who gather around their friend and they lift the mat. And these guys have faith that if they can get their paralytic friend into range of Jesus Christ, to actually see him, for Jesus to actually, to perhaps to touch him or pray over him, that something miraculous is going to occur. And we tend to operate like that. We gather around our friends who don't know Jesus with the aim of introducing them to Jesus. That's what we do. But you know what? We don't have to pick up a mat and carry it to Jesus. We don't have to carry it to a meeting, to a gospel meeting. We don't have to carry that mat into Sunday morning meetings to show them Jesus Christ. Because our friends, our lost friends, see Jesus Christ in us. Our characters change to represent Jesus Christ. So when Roger stands, uh, stands up here and says, actually our families should be expressing love and loving each other is a great thing, it's true. Because actually when we gather around our friends and they, are, they feel loved and cared for, what they're experiencing is the love and care of Jesus Christ. Because our characters are changed to be like Christ. So when we go on display to the world, we are nothing special except for the fact that Christ lives in us. And Christ is in us. Jeremy talked about it last night on this very stage. That actually we, we see something quite phenomenal. And the people around us see something and feel something that is quite phenomenal. When they see our families. And they see our families living amongst them. And they see the family of church living amongst them. So we have countless people come through our house. You don't have to do it that way. You can be at someone else's house. But we, it's not just myself and Joe. We involve people who aren't part of families, uh, like nuclear families, but are part of our church family. They're involved in the way that we are on mission. And we, and we bring those into the way we work in mission, and they bring us into the way they do mission as well. And we meet their friends, they meet our friends. It just works like that. All the time, it's family on display. It's family being seen. Bear with me. <laughs> Rob's painted a great picture there, hasn't he, of what we are aiming for. I feel inspired. I do. I want to do it. <laughs> um, I've been asked to speak a little bit more about what that really then looks like in our lives, a bit more of the practical side, because sometimes it's easy to hear this great vision and say yes, but then we have to go home and think, well, what do I do now? How do I do that? How do I make that happen? I just want to share with you first uh, one of the most challenging scriptures, I think, in the New Testament. It's been challenging me very recently. In, from 1 John 3, 
verses 16 to 19. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. It's heavy stuff, isn't it? It's challenging stuff. Loving like Christ sacrificing ourselves, laying down our lives. Do we really want to? Can we really do it? How does that fit into our day-to-day lives? Because the truth is, we're pretty busy people. We've got stuff going on already. We've got our meetings that we go to. We've got our jobs that we do. We've got these little kids. They're pretty demanding. They don't actually let us sleep. It's hard It's hard. Life is busy. It is full. We fill it up. We have a very, very valuable commodity in our culture at the moment, and it is time, and it is costly. So I'm not going to pretend that this vision that we are trying to inspire you with today is not a cost, because it is. To sacrifice like Christ, to lay down your life like Jesus that is a really high calling and I'm not pretending that I am there but I am having a go as I know you all are. So what are these needs? We've got our resources, we've got some stuff. What are these needs that are around us? Because when we read that scripture we can think very easily about people that have a lack of material need But actually, everybody around us has needs. They need love, compassion. They need hope. People in our church, people outside of our church, it's full and full of people with need. And what they really need, what we really have to give, is ourselves and our time. Because when we give them that, we are giving them Jesus. Because as Rob has already said, Christ in us is actually what we are giving That is what is of real value. When we give ourselves, we give Christ because we are the fragrance of Christ. And that is of what is real value to those around us. But we've already discovered that we have no time. So we are trapped. What do we do? Well, I have got a magical question to ask you. Do you eat? I am reckoning that every single person in this room eats. I think I'm on pretty safe ground, yeah? Had breakfast, maybe you might have skipped breakfast. Probably you're going to aim for lunch, some kind of meal today, at least one. We all eat. We have a window of opportunity in our lives that we can do something with other people that does not actually take a major demand on our time. We have not got to give a whole other evening to another social meeting. We can just open our homes, open our lives, share some time together, go for a coffee. It doesn't have to be hard. We don't have to aim high. So who do you eat with? Consider that question while I'm talking. Now, you may find it hard to believe, and those of you here that know me very well do find it hard to believe, but 
Honestly, I used to be an extremely shy and insecure person. You are laughing because you know me. Uh, God has been at work in my life. But I really, truly, um, I got married very young. When I got married, I had never cooked. I could not cook. The only cooking I ever did in our early marriage life was with one hand on the phone to my mother. <laughs> what do I do next? <laughs> um, we had children in multitudes uh, very early on in our married life. Um, my house was a mess. It was chaos. If you know me now, it still is. <laughs> and we had this wonderful lady in our church who had this magnificent gift of hospitality. She was, and still is, just absolutely amazing. She cooks really good food. Her house is so tidy, it is untrue. I do not know how she does it. I have literally no clue. And I honestly felt that to be hospitable, I had to be her. I had to be able to cook food that tasted nice, and I had to have a tidy home to invite people into. And, you know, I just couldn't do it. It wasn't that I didn't try, and it wasn't that I didn't want to. It was just totally beyond me. And in the end, and it still is, I don't laugh that much. <laughs> in the end, I realized that I had a decision to make. When we moved to Manchester with three small children, I was 26 years old. I had still never had anyone round for dinner once. I'd hope I had one person round for dinner once. Um, I just couldn't do it, I felt. But I decided to make a choice that I was just going to live my life a different way. And I took a deep breath and I decided that I just wasn't going to worry about the mess. I couldn't control the stuff. I couldn't keep my house clean and tidy, not to that level um, that I felt it had to be. And I decided I just wasn't going to care. Now, the truth is, I actually still do care. It is embarrassing. It is. And I'm not going to lie, people do comment on it. What they do is they come in if I've had some mad tidying frenzy and they say, wow. What happens here? <laughs> and I take a deep breath and I say, Do you know, it just doesn't matter in my heart. Doesn't, I don't care. Because I care about something more. I care about something more. I am still not a very good cook. I just cook on scale. But what I have discovered is that, you know, British people have to be polite. So you can... <laughs> It's brilliant. They just have to eat what you give them. <laughs> it doesn't have to taste that good. And people actually, if it's not that good, they can go home and have toast, can't they? They just have to politely push it around their plate a bit, say thank you. If they're still hungry, they can go and eat something at home. That's fine. I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. I don't have to cook these amazing three-course meals like this wonderful, gifted woman does. On Tuesday nights in our house, what night is it, Katie? It's cheesy bacon pasta night. Every week, that's what we have. We have cheesy bacon pasta, some smart price pasta, a bit of cream, a bit of cheese, some bacon, Bob's your uncle. We do not change the menu because I cannot cope with who's coming for dinner and what am I going to cook. 
I can't do both those questions. It's one or the other. So if I already know what I'm going to cook, it's real easy. We just count and then we multiply. People know that they are welcome at my home. In our house, Tuesday and Friday nights particularly are a general open invitation. Cheesy bacon pasta on pizza night on a Friday. Friday night, pizza night. You ask any of my kids, what's Friday night? It's pizza night. That's how they know the days of the week. (laughs) If it's the school holidays that we deviate, they actually panic. They just don't know what's going on. What do you mean we're not having pizza? Um, I keep it simple, and then I say... Does anyone know who's coming? Does anyone know who's actually in the house at this minute? Because people just turn up and we just count. But that's okay because we just have big pots and we multiply. You do not have to do this. But what I am saying is, if you do not plan it in, it will never happen. I need a routine. In some ways, I'm very spontaneous. But it really helps me to say, Tuesday night, Friday night, I know what we're doing. Sunday lunch. Ready roast chicken day. Brilliant. Shove some baked potatoes in the oven. Before we go to church, shove in 20. And then you just start inviting people. Well, if you get to more than 20 people saying yes, which rarely happens, but no, it happens. You just then put some pasta on quick and a jar of sauce when you get home to make up the difference. Ready roast chickens, bag of salad, you're away. You don't have to actually be able to do something amazing. You don't even have to have a home. Because if you don't, you just invite yourself to someone else. You turn up on their doorstep, and again we get to play the British card. Because when you knock, they look surprised, and then they have to say, Come in. (laughs) Would you like a cup of tea? (laughs) And then you are eating with them. You might be eating tea and biscuits, but you are. You are giving people your time. And that doesn't just work inside our church family. This works outside our church family. I am not looking at the time. Focus. We're called to humble ourselves to serve. And sometimes it just means taking a deep breath and saying, I'm just going to try and not worry. And when I worry, I'm just going to choose not to worry. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus again. Because, you know, people said a lot of things about him. He barbecued on the beach. Maybe people did not like his cooking. I don't know. Because they were too polite to comment. They did not write that down. Just saying. (laughs) When we first moved to Kendall, um, I met, we didn't know anybody. And I met a mum on a school gate. And we chose to send our children to the nearest school so that I could walk to school, so that I could stand and chat with people after they dropped their kids at school. It was just an intentional choice. And I got chatting to this one mum who was just as much of a chatterbox as me, so I invited her in for a cup of tea because we lived really close so she could walk back to my house really easy. I am not lying. She sat down on my sofa and pretty much said, what must I do to be saved? Honestly, in almost those words... All I'd done was have a little chat and offer a cup of tea. It just was bizarre. But Jesus was at work in her life, little did I know. All I'd done was offer her a brew. There was not even any cake, as I do not bake, because I cannot, honestly, bad things happen when I try that. I don't try it. I have daughters, they bake. I can't. Um, She said, what must I do to be saved? And do you know, at that moment, 
how, how old was I then? Maybe 29. I had had years and years and years of going to small group, going to youth group, being trained. Your one-minute gospel, your three-minute gospel, your half-an-hour gospel. I knew it all, and when she asked me that question, I could think of nothing to say. I had no idea what she needed to do to be saved. I was so shocked. But because God was at work, actually, her and her family have been wonderfully saved she is actually here leading Going Bananas 5 to 7s this week. She runs all our kids' work, our food bank in our church. She is a wonderful testimony of God's grace and work. And what a privilege to be used by God by offering somebody a cup of tea. It's exciting stuff, isn't it? Proverbs 14 verse 4 was given to me by a lady in our church, an older lady in our church. <laughs> when I'd got over there... <laughs> embarrassment factor of it. It was very, very encouraging. Proverbs 14 verse 4 says this. It says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Can you see where she was going with this? (laughs) Because it did not escape me. Without oxen, a stable is clean, with them a large harvest, but not clean. I see what you are saying. Do you know, sharing your lives with people, inviting people in to your space is a messy business. It messes with your life. It messes with your time. When your elderly neighbor knocks on the door and wants a jar opening and a chat, you've got a choice to make. When you're thinking, should I pop to, I could pop to the supermarket? I could just pop in on that person first and see if they're there. You've got a choice to make. It messes with your schedule. But it's worth letting God mess because we want to see a big harvest. Do you know, in our family, we have a lot of stories that we tell, things that we laugh about. Do you remember when that child pooed on the patio? Do you remember when she weed in that handbag? <laughs> sick, sick, sick. So many sick stories. I can't even begin to tell you them all. Blood on the carpet, amniotic fluids. That was a surprising one. <laughs> Nail varnish bright red on someone's freshly painted white walls. Don't go down so well. Poo on a trampoline. (laughs) You laugh. (laughs) In the moment, they are not so funny. (laughs) It is a messy business. We live in Cumbria. I know what a clean stable looks like. We have a lot of farmers. It is really nice, an empty clean stable, freshly cleaned out, straw and hay and sawdust. It smells nice. You put a big ox in it, And you have got a lot of hard work. You have. It is a choice. It is a cost to make that sacrifice. But do you know what? That poo on my patio is actually a story of a friendship for life, a discipleship relationship that has lasted over hundreds of miles of moving away. Actually, a woman who encourages me when I need encouragement, and who inspires me, and who we share our lives together, albeit from a distance. That's what that story is really about. The we in a handbag, (laughs) wasn't my handbag, 
<laughs> Actually, that isn't, no, it wasn't Rob's, no. <laughs> Not that time. Um, that's really a story of a family supported through the loss of a child, of a family who has become our family. Oh, no. (laughs) Of a family who has become our family, who have suffered and who we have cried with, who we have fed and fed, whose children are as our children. The school comes and and talks to me if there's a question, if, you know, has this child got a PE kit? I don't know, but I can find out. (laughs) Um, They are our family. It's not really about the we. The blood on the carpet, the amniotic fluid, those are families on a church planting mission transforming the world for Jesus. That's what those stories really are. But the mess comes along the way. It does. The nail varnish on the walls, that was my child. I won't tell you which one. (laughs) But actually, that was part of Rachel's salvation story. The poo on a trampoline is actually a wonderful story that is still at work. We have a friend, an Iranian Muslim friend, who, and this is where team is so important, because the honest truth is, I would never have approached this woman and become her friend, because when we met her, she had no English at all. She'd been living in the UK for five years. She had no English. She did not really go out of her home except to take her kid to preschool, um, which is where we met her. And my other friend, we're in a handbag, mum. (laughs) She decided that we were going to outreach to this woman, that we were going to become her friend. She did not have any friends, so she said, we are going to be her friends. And to be honest, it was really pushing me out of my comfort zone because... She did not have even one word of English. It is not easy to have a conversation that way. So this other friend decided, it's fine, I'm going to invite her to Our Lady's Coffee Morning. So every week, she invited this woman to Our Lady's Coffee Morning, and every week, this woman went and did not come, (laughs) because she had no idea what she was saying. (laughs) She could not speak English. She had no idea she was being invited to something, and even if she had known, would have been very scared to come. Eventually, after about six months of this, her husband, who does speak English, dropped the children at preschool. And my friend said to him, remind your wife about Lady's Coffee, which of course he couldn't remind her. She didn't know it existed. She didn't speak English. And he said, oh, what is this? So she told him. He got in his car. He drove home. He got his wife. He put her in his car. He drove her to my house. He put her out and he made her come. Every week, he put her in the car, he drove her to her house, he put her out and he made her come. Because he knew she needed friends. And here were some people who wanted to be her friends. Why? Because I like having these awkward conversations where I go blah, 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 and she goes... (laughs) And she goes blah, 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 and I go... Or maybe, because I don't know. (laughs) The poor woman did not eat a thing or drink a thing with us for a good six months of coming. We thought she did not want to eat with the infidel. Actually, in Iran, when you say, would you like a cup of tea? The polite answer is no. 
you have to say no about six times. As the host, you have to make the tea, take it to her. The biscuits practically force them in their mouth. I did not know this. I had no idea. <laughs> Poor woman, in the end, she realized what the, you know, you just have to say yes or you are hungry and thirsty. <laughs> It was, it was two years before I discovered that. She just started eating and then she cracked before we did. We had no clue. <laughs> One day, we were at the end of coffee, we were just chatting. I'm talking about, oh, I don't know, probably childbirth, it usually is. Um, <laughs> and she turned to us and she said, I see. Church is a family. And we said, yes, it is. I nearly cried on the spot. Yes. She had watched us and she had seen, what had she seen? She had seen Jesus. She'd seen Jesus at work in our lives and through our lives. Now, this family are very, very much part of our church family, but they are not yet saved. We are still praying for them. But by the grace of God, this lady's life has been transformed. She has friends. She has family. She has someone to go to when she has a problem. She has English. She now has a job and qualifications because my friend decided to not give up inviting her for a cup of tea. Would have been really easy not to bother but it was really worth it. It has been messy on the way. And the poo on the trampoline was really hard to get off. <laughs> it just gets in the mesh. It's really, it's not, it was her trampoline, not mine. For that, I am grateful. It was, it makes a mess when we share our lives. I'm, I'm still all right. I've got a couple of minutes. <sighs> This is not just me on a mission, or Rob and I on a mission, or me and my friends on a mission, although without the church family, people would just see, oh, Joe's quite nice. That's what they would think. But when they meet the community of God, the family of God, they see something different. Ah, oh, there is a common factor here. You are all nice. You all like tea. <laughs> More than the average British person, even. This is a story of a family on a mission. Our children are part of this big picture. And that is a really, really important thing to remember. This is not something on the periphery. Uh, this is our family life. I was thinking about... Abraham and Isaac, another family on a mission. Now, actually, Abraham was the one who had been given the promise. He was the one who God had come to. He was the one who had heard from God. But on that day that he put wood on his son's back and walked him up a mountain, and his son said, where's the sacrifice, Dad? Abraham was really, really old. He was really old before he even had that child. 
It was really, really, really old now. Isaac, by then, most commentators agree, was probably about maybe 16 years old. Now, I have had two 16-year-old boys. They are now more than 16. And I can assure you that if I wanted to tie them up, (laughs) take a knife and plunge it into them, I couldn't do it if they were unwilling I couldn't. It would not be a physical possibility. Abraham was really, really, really old. I know some old people. I do not know anybody as old as Abraham was was at this time. But I am going to suggest to you that he could not have bound that boy and put a knife to his chest if Isaac had not also been full of faith. It was not just Abraham who had resurrection faith for his son. He had raised a son who knew who God was. We have, that there's no record of God directly speaking to Isaac up to that point, but Abraham had raised a son who knew who God was, who knew him, who had faith to live his life a different way, who trusted God even in what was quite a challenging situation. I'm not going to lie, they probably were crying. They certainly were praying. But it wasn't just Abraham who had that faith. Isaac had to be on that mission with his father. It was the only way. He had been trained and raised to know who God was and what they were living for and what was of real value. That is how we need to lead our families. That is how we need to lead ourselves. If you cannot lead yourself, you cannot lead your family. When we think of Proverbs 22, verse 6, train a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. We heard it yesterday. We think often about discipline. But actually, training is a word that has so much more to it. I like to think of it as a word like apprenticeship. One of my sons was looking into an apprenticeship where you go to somebody who is skilled, who knows the job, who knows the mission, who has the vision, who has the tools, and you learn, you live and work alongside them. That is an apprenticeship. That is training. We are bringing our children with us. We're not doing this around them. In any family, you can say, in our family, we... In our family, we like Lord of the Rings. In our family, we like going for picnics at Coniston. Nice, Coniston Water Lake District, very nice place. If you ever fancy church planting, in the north, we know some nice spots. (laughs) Our kids have to live this with us. We mustn't leave them behind. In our family, we love people, we serve them. And that means when people come and make a mess in your stable, you clear it up. You pick up toys that other people have dropped on the floor. You're forgiving when your stuff gets broken. You share your time. Now, we are very careful to guard time with our individual children on their own. But we also are teaching them to give their time and give themselves They must know that, or we are raising selfish people. And we are not raising selfish people, we are raising 
people on a mission. We are raising a family, a church family, whoever we are discipling, whoever we are leading, whoever is alongside us, whoever is in our home, around our kitchen table, whoever's homes we have gone to and knocked on their doors, we are discipling, we are leading, we are building apprentices, we are training We are pointing people towards the King of Kings and something that is worth living for. We are not living for now. We are living for eternity. We need to know that. We need to know that. We've moved from the south where it is sunny and warm. I'm not going to lie. It really is. To the north where it, it rains. We live in the Lake District. Those lakes are there for a reason. It is cold and wet. And I say, Jesus... In eternity, maybe there will be some sun. <laughs> I do. It's just real. That is selfish and silly. In one sense, it's silly. It's trivial, isn't it? But you know, we choose how we use the resources that we have been given by God. When you see someone in need, what you have, you give. You give like Christ, you give yourself. But you can only do that if you have an eternal perspective, if you know what you are living for, whose race you are running, why you are running it, what you want to build and achieve. We have to choose what to do with the time that's been given us. And actually, day to day, that's like a hundred little choices about how we live, about what we do with our lives. Can I just pray? And then I'll hand over to, uh, to Roger. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that we are in Christ. We are in the rock We are in you, King Jesus. We are secure. We are safe. This is our performance, how we live. It's not what our salvation is based on. It is based on you and all that you have done. You have achieved it all. But Lord, what a glorious privilege to be part of your purposes, part of your rescue mission for this world. Those who are able to display your glory in this broken generation. Lord, we want to be those who can say that to live is Christ. We want to display you in this generation. We want the harvest. We want that big harvest. We want to see lives changed and transformed. Please use us. Please help us. Please equip us and empower us. Uh, and shine from our lives. Lord, we belong to you. We want to live for you day by day. Amen. Thanks so much, Rob and Joe. And uh, excellent. And just, just so helps us. And and the proof is in the, you know, the proof is in the eating that you, you go to their churches and you see it. It's not just Rob and Joe doing it. They've got, it's, it's a value throughout the whole church. Um, I want to introduce you to a, a very good friend of ours, um, Alex. Do you want to come up, Alex? Okay. Um, 
We've known Alex, Cheryl and I have known Alex for some years now, and, um, and she's a, a very good friend, and she's a sister, okay? Pick up the family thing. But actually, I, I count Alex as a real sister, you know? I, she, she's good fun to be with, and, uh, and she spends time with us as a couple, and we've talked through many, many things, had a lot of fun together. And, uh, and we just wanted, uh, I'm going to do just some Q&A with her, really. In terms of, uh, well, I'll let her introduce herself. Okay, so, Alex, how do you describe yourself? Well, how would I describe you, Roger? You see? Because <laughs> I could say, this is my friend Roger, and he's married to Cheryl, and they have three children. So if you flip that round, my name is Alex, I'm single, and I have no children. But actually, I don't want to be described like that. Actually, who, who I am is my identity, is in Christ. It's not being single. And I think um, that if, if, if you take away nothing else from, from what I say, it's, it doesn't matter whether you're single or whether you're married. You can live a fulfilled life in Christ because it's him that's at work in you and it's, it's him that, well, just as we've been saying, you know, all this morning, actually, it doesn't make any difference. It's about being who you are in Jesus and whether you're single or whether you're not actually doesn't really matter. So how... How do I describe myself? Well, I probably wouldn't go around saying I'm Alex, I'm a child of God to everybody that I meet. But in my heart, I know that. And in the church, I think it's really important that that's how single people are seen, not as being anything different. So. Okay, well, what's it like being a, a single person in the church? I know you've been part of different churches, both in the south of England and in the north. Yeah. Well, what's it like? Okay, and just... Okay. Well, I think, I think it, well, a very wise friend of mine, Roger Pye, once said to me, um, Alex, um, church is all about relationships. And I thought, yeah, actually he's right. It, he is right. And I think it depends what your experience is and what it's like being a single person in the church by the relationships that you have and the networks that you have. And... Um, so I think, um, I think you need to take responsibility for your own experience uh, as a single person in the church. You need to make, eff- make an effort. You need to invest in relationships. But also equally, I think that the church can add such a lot to that to a single person's experience by, by being family, really. So, you know, I think that would be my general comment. <laughs> What, what, what are some of the challenges? Just kind of, I think, be really helpful to just identify some of the, the challenges that you've had personally. And, and I know that they've kind of changed over the years, but yeah. it would be really helpful for you just to describe those okay. for us. Okay. okay um, when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, um, I'm going to take you through the decades of my life. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, <laughs> but... But when I was in my 20s, I thought, oh, you know, I'll get married, I'll have kids and all that sort of stuff. I had a good network of friends. I was in a good church. Um, I had lots of single friends, female. 
um, some male friends. I had, um, you know, older couples that I could go and talk to. And actually, things were quite good. My pastor acted like my big brother. He kind of looked after us. He was like our spiritual head, if you like. Um, so So that was pretty good. But then as I moved into my 30s, Um, my sister had children and I I found that hard Um, my friends my close female friends got married and they started having children and my own biological clock ticked very very loudly and that was actually incredibly hard and I think another single friend of mine recently commented that um, it's actually I think actually and I know it's it's not anything done deliberately but actually, it's not always acknowledged that I think for particularly for single women, that because you're not married, you therefore don't have children. But that doesn't mean that you don't want children and it doesn't take away the pain of wanting to have children. So I just wanted to make that point because I think it was quite, an, quite one that gets kind of a bit lost. Um, so some, so my 30s, had, I mean, it was, you know, it was OK, but it, they had it, it, they had they had their challenges, really. Um, and I think Jesus in that decade was kind of teaching me more about myself, more about being a child of God, more about knowing who I was, um, and actually to not put my life on hold. I think so many young women particularly put their life on hold. They idolize marriage. They say, my life will be great when I get married. I'll be in that. I'll just sit in this waiting room until that person comes along. And actually, and I did that. I idolized marriage. And actually, that is just, that's not right. Because actually, God wants you to, um, God wants you to live a fulfilled life in Christ, whether you're married or whether you're single. He's actually got nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, So, just moving quickly into my 40s, I'm, I'm happier, I'm more content perhaps being a single person. I've kind of accepted that um, uh, I'm not going to have children. But I would still like to meet somebody. I'd still like to get married, and that's still the case today. I'm, that's not changed. <laughs> um, that might be a bit difficult because I've kind of forgotten what it's like. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> um, but anyway, that aside. Um, but I did... <laughs> I did, I did actually meet somebody and I had a, a, you know, I fell in love and, uh, you know, I really wanted to marry this person and it didn't work out and it broke my heart, but God completely and utterly healed my heart of that. I am totally convinced. So, you know, there are, there are ups and downs with these things. Um, but I think being in my forties was difficult. At that point I had moved, I was part of a uh, a place where there was a lot fewer single people. There wasn't any single women um, where I was. And the church was, was full of um, young married couples with very young children. And they kind of didn't really know what to do with me because I kind of stuck out. I was a bit, I just didn't fit in, you know. I was just like, well, she's a single person, you know. And, you know, it was that, that was really hard. And I think God was teaching me about perseverance, even when you don't understand, and faithfulness. And then, um, and then I moved to where I am now, and an amazing thing happened. I didn't feel single anymore, which was amazing. Um, I, had, uh, I really felt, I feel I'm in a family of God. I feel loved, I feel appreciated, I feel valued. Um, I feel I can contribute. Um, and 
and, and another, if I could just say this, uh, uh, one thing which I never, ever, ever expected to happen. And um, a number of people gave me Isaiah 54, which is the, the verse about um, barren women and you'll have more children than the married women and, you know, you, you know what I mean. Um, and, and I met this young man. Now, don't get excited. Uh, <laughs> I met this young man and, and I found that I could love and care for him as a spiritual son. And actually, God has given me a spiritual son, and you can have, um, uh, you can have a parenting relationship with some other people's children. I have that with my niece and nephew. I would like to think I'm the cool auntie, <laughs> um, but you can have it with my my spiritual son is 32. He got married last year, so and I, I now have a daughter-in-law. And I genuinely believe that was such a wonderful thing that God has brought into my life. So. I've kind of gone off track, but that's... <laughs> okay, okay. Um, tell us, there's some good things about being single. There are good things about being single. I mean, it, there, it is biblical. There's stuff in the Bible that says you can give yourself wholly to Christ. Um, I'm not quite sure that I, <laughs> I left that out in its fullness, but you can certainly focus more on, on, on what God is calling you to do more easily without the pressures of children and, and family. Um, you can do things, you have more freedom to do things that perhaps married people wouldn't, wouldn't uh, find it so easy to do. So, yeah, I think there are some pluses, yeah. Okay, one, one last question. Okay, how, how can we as churches, you know, how can, we, how can we be family in terms of, you know, building friendship with single folks? And uh, what, what are some practical <coughs> things that can help okay. us? I think there's some practical things about being aware of. There are some sensitivities that I think it's useful just to be aware of. So don't ask all the single people to um, serve at the marriage courses, for example, or to to serve on the Valentine's nights, or, you know, just there's some sensitivities. Some single people might find it hard, might find Mother's Days and Father's Days hard, you know. I don't know. I, I don't personally, but I know some friends of mine who do. So there's just some sensitivities, I think, to be aware of. You might want to think about bringing more teaching on singleness, perhaps to the congregation as a whole, or to single people in your church around some of the more difficult issues around um, making big decisions on your own. That's a massive one, um, because there's nobody else to make the decisions for you. Um, about sex, that's something that you know you might want to think about bringing some teaching on. Um, and I think as an example of a recent event in my life where I felt very supported, um, my dad died a few months ago and uh, there was a couple, in, so and I live on my own and I didn't want to be on my own and there was a, a, a couple in the church who just said, Alex, just wanna, do you want to come around for your tea the day after he died? And I said, yeah, that would just be really nice. And we had a couple of glasses of wine and said, do you just want to stay the night? And I said, yeah, that would be great. And then the next day they said, do you want to come around for a meal? You know, I said, yeah. And they said, do you want to stay the night? And I said, yeah, that'd be really nice. And they just let me be. I, come and, I came and went. We got a film out. There was no pressure. I was just able to be myself. And they just let me be myself. And that was really, really lovely. Um, and I think, um, yeah. Um, I can't think of anything else. There are, there are other stuff, but yeah. They're the main things, I think. Okay, thanks so much. Okay, thanks so much, Alex. I think it really helps us.
Well done. I think this morning, I think where our heart and our passion has been to communicate church as family. And, uh, and in doing that, we're communicating the Father's heart. Uh, it's interesting that in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Be imitators of the Father. Live the life of love. And I think that, well, Rob and Joe have served us superbly in kind of spelling out the excitement of church as family life and creating bigger and bigger and bigger family and reproducing, creating new families as well and in terms of new churches. I think as well, just hearing from Alex, I think it's so critical that we really are family. And, you know, that this is God's, you know, and as I read from that Piper quote to begin with, that actually our eternal family, it kind of trumps, as it were, and we want to bring our natural families into God's eternal family. It's this eternal family that is forever. Tomorrow, we're going to have a real privilege of having Krish Kandaya with us, who's written a book, Home for Good. He's leading a very significant national initiative and is actually in very high demand so it's a real privilege to get hold of him for this life zone and he's gonna really share his heart his passion about how we as churches can be family to our nation okay you don't need me to tell you that in our nation families are broken they're dysfunctional they're in a oh, oh it's desperate in our nation And yet Krish is running with a vision, a God-given vision, for us to make the difference in our nation. And really what we've done, we've taken a journey from parenting to church as family, building family, and then being family for the nation. And so I do encourage you to come tomorrow. Uh, I know, Chris, we're going to give the whole morning, we'll we'll give him an introduction, and you'll get the whole morning uh, catching Chris's heart, and there'll also be opportunity for question and answers as well. He will be particularly being addressing things like fostering and adoption, which I know is on many, many people's hearts these days. Let's stand together, shall we? If you're able to. just going to pray just got a few moments before just need to collect children or go to the next thing just over everything we've heard over everything we've looked at in these last couple of days and what we'll do tomorrow the father wants us to know his love And even in some of the stories, maybe Alex has touched on some things, Joe, Rob, yesterday, Cheryl, Hazel. Some of those stories, there are actually stories of pain or disappointment or or discouragement or things that are, are triggered in your own life. None of us come from perfect family background. None of us are in perfect family. And perfect family belongs, the fulfillment of that is 
in Christ, in the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. We're on the way there. We've not arrived. We're not there yet. And in the midst of that, though, we can know the Father's love. It's filling us, answering big kind of aches in our hearts, questions in our hearts, desires in our hearts. If God so wants to refresh us in his love, Holy Spirit, I want to ask that you'll come and just fill every single one of us with the Father's love. Thank you the Holy Spirit is given to shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. And Father, we just want to lift our heads to you, our Father, and say, fill us again. Fill us again, Lord. Fill us again, Father. Abba, Father, fill us again with your love. So capture our hearts with your ways of love and let them overflow. That would not be defined by hurts or our failures or our disappointments, but we will be defined by our Father's love, by the Father's love. We will know this wonderful identity in Christ Now, children of God. Now, sons. Now, belonging to you. Now, part of this household of God. Now, sent out on this magnificent family mission. Now, each one of us able to be fruitful. Lord Jesus, we say, we give ourselves freshly to it this morning. We say, fill us again mobilizing us, mobilize us in it, thrill us again with it, help us as even tonight as we go into this great evening of praying and, 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 and capturing your heart for the nations, let us know this is your family business, <laughs> this is the Father's business and we give ourselves freshly to it Lord, help us, help us with these practicalities, Lord give us big hearts for this and then give us the practical outworkings. Thank you for the honesty that's been shared over these last two days. Come, help us, Lord, to build and create our new stories right where we live, we pray. Help us be good with cups of tea. Help us to be good. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen.